Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm Lee Lonsberry, but I have not always been known as Lee Lonsberry. I, there was a period of time when I was young, uh, junior high, early high school days, when in my backyard, I was the steward of 13 chickens. 13 chickens. My uh, farm grew farm. Come on. It was a, a chain link fence uh, uh, surrounding a utility shed. I use it as a chicken coop. Uh, I had 13 chickens, and it grew later to include two goats and two geese. But it was the chickens for which I was known. They called me Chicken Boy. Yeah. I'm self-conscious, as you well know and have picked up over this past year. I get worked up over everything. And so imagine uh, young Lee Lonsberry being called Chicken Boy for a few years. Uh, It wasn't until just a moment ago that I started to feel okay about being called Chicken Boy. Why? Uh, Well, I I was just informed that, uh, and you fans of Friends, you'll recognize this clip here. Uh, Bruce Willis was a, a guest on there. Was he Rachel's boyfriend or dad or something? Boyfriend for a time? Something. Uh, anyway, turns out that I wasn't the only one referred to as Chicken Boy. Here's uh, uh, something you might recognize. It was horrible. They <laughs> called me Chicken Boy. I'm wondering now. See, here's what I need to do. I need to track down the original air date of that episode, and I wonder if some little snot nose at my school when I was growing up saw that and just repurposed the nickname. Anyway, I am off uh, way on a tangent. Uh, do we have Sophia on the line? Is Sophia on there? Okay, good. Uh, I-, I was reading the Deseret News uh, just yesterday, and I saw uh, w- what got me was the image, was the picture. And it is a beautiful setting. There's this uh, white chicken with some red comb uh, there on on her head and a a little bit of waddle underneath her chin. And there's some puppy dogs on the other side of a fence. The sun is shining. Uh, But it reminded me of those days when I earned my nickname Chicken Boy. The headline of the piece by Sophia Jeremias is My Search for a Better Chicken. And as I read this, I realized, oh, my gosh. Sophia's gone on quite a journey here and has uh, put together kind of a fascinating story. And so to uh, share her story, and I'd invite you, too, to go read this in its entirety there at Deseret.com, the headline, My Search for a Better Chicken. Uh, Sophia joins me now. Sophia, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Do you have any uh, high school nicknames you'd like to reveal on the program today? Um, You know, I don't think I do. (laughs) (laughs) They may be long forgotten or or back way back in my head. (laughs) Well, good for you. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Let those uh, (laughs) let those recede into uh, history forever forgotten. 
Uh, t- tell me about this piece of yours. You, you you started off cooking and you ended up traveling halfway across the state of Utah to a chicken farm. W- 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 give me the details in between. Yeah, so basically um, the, the background is that I was raised vegetarian for most of my life. I didn't start cooking meat until I was in my late 20s, or sorry, early 20s. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd always sort of grown up wondering, like, where did my food come from? Um, you know, my parents showed me maybe one too many factory farm movies when I was a pretty young kid. And so I had started buying chickens at the local farmer's market here. And it got me wondering sort of, well, what am I paying for? These chickens are pretty expensive. And I decided to go and visit a small farm in Vernal to see sort of what was going on with the chickens there. Outstanding. And so you you, did, you made the drive, you got on 40, you headed out east, and you made your way to Vernal. Uh, who'd you meet out there and what'd you learn? So I met Dale and Linda Batty, who are two farmers. Um, they raise not only chickens, but uh, llamas and uh, cows and pigs. And I have to admit, the way they raised their chickens looked pretty good to me. Uh, <laughs> they had quite a bit of space to roam free. Um, you know, some of their egg-laying hens uh, were sick, and so Linda Batty was feeding them uh, keeper and milk. Um, and it was just a lot of open space. I think the way they were farming uh, is sort of the, the way that we hope our animals are raised, and it, it did make me feel pretty good about paying a little bit more for that. As you as you worked on this story, can, did you find w- what kind of differences there are? Uh, so when you when you pay a few extra dollars more, is it is it merely the you know the more I don't know comfortable situation in which these chickens are being raised, or wh- where's the money go? I mean, I think it's the, the more comfortable situation, but also, you know, what Linda and Dale told me is there's just a lot more risks involved. You know, when they when they don't use antibiotics on their chickens, they might they might just end up dying, um, and they're more at risk to animals coming. They said one year an owl came and, and took out 70 of their chickens. Uh, you know, the other thing is just that it takes a lot of time. Dale and Linda, they, they move their chickens uh, to different parts of the land, uh, so that the the soil is um, sort of, I guess, chicken tilled. I would say mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that's exactly the right word for it. And so Sounds it's just a lot of it's a lot more. E- yeah, it's a, it's a lot more effort. Um, it's a lot more time, and uh, they are just two people, and they have some some friends and some family that help out. But it's a pretty small operation. The the, the disparity in price between you know what you see pra- packaged wholesale on the shelf in the grocery store uh, compared to you know something you might describe as farm fresh or locally uh, range for whatever uh, the, the disparity in price is. In the chicken sense, it is emblematic of something uh, much larger, and it is that you know you go to the, the the farmers market and you you're buying some vegetables or some fruits, and you look at and, you, and meats, uh, and you think how how is it that that by cutting out the middleman uh, and, and eliminating what you know seemingly might be some of this overhead, how, how these uh, prices go up and it comes down to, to margins and mitigating that loss you mentioned with the antibiotics the the way the 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 big producers do yeah I think it's definitely a tough question um, you know I think even a few dollars you know can mean a lot to some people and I think it's it's 
it's one of the big questions I think we will have going forward is how, how can we, you know, raise animals in a way that is perhaps more ethical, you know, better for people, better for farmers, but also being uh, conscious of those price differences that, that do make a lot of it, I think, out of reach and, and untainable for, for many Americans. How about you? What uh, were your big takeaways from this uh, event? Do you think you'll find yourself with a dozen or so chickens in your own backyard sometime? You know, I I do think that if if I had a backyard, I would definitely be tempted to to get some chickens. But I think my my landlord would be a bit upset with me if I started raising them in my apartment. <laughs> well, I'll I'll tell you what, set set it as a goal. Uh, I know I got picked on when I was in high school with those uh, chickens. I, I lived on Main Street uh, in my little city and was able to with a little bit of chain link fence and a and a woodshed out back put together a coop and raise. Uh, about a dozen chickens, and I I know I took a lot of heat for it, but I did learn about responsibility, and, uh, you know, when it came time to, to feed the family, I was able to do that, and there is, uh, you know, there is a certain measure of uh, of self-reliability that uh, that makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're standing a little bit taller. Uh, so, so folks listening, there is a kind of a trend right now of having some backyard chickens, uh, and I am 100% supportive of that trend. So hop on that bandwagon if you have the opportunity. Sophia, thank you for your work here. Thank you for your writing. I'll invite folks again to make their way over to uh, Deseret.com. Read this uh, article by Sophia Jeremias, the headline, My Search for a Better Chicken. Uh, she goes on a fascinating journey, learns a lot, and you can learn yourself by reading this article. Sophia, thanks again. Thanks so much. Alrighty. Uh, we're going to take a, a break here in just a, a moment or so. To wrap up the program, I'm going to dedicate the, the final half hour of today's show to a question that just jumped into my head the other day. And it was, as I was looking back over this year of COVID-19, the pandemic that we have battled together, I got thinking about social media. I got thinking about uh, our reliance on social media and how it has become or it's rather taken on a new role in our lives. My question is, I've put this on, well, social media, and I'll put it to you as well. Has social media been a net negative or positive in our battle against COVID-19? Has social media been a net negative or positive in our battle against COVID-19? We'll have that discussion, you and me, next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.